0: Find once again for the third week the book of Philippians. That's where we are now. It's the third week in our series uh, through the book of Philippians, The Joy of Gospel Partnership. And we'll be looking at verses 3 through 11 essentially today. To help you get some framework for that, just a simple trivia question first. Um, This um, won't apply to all of you because some of you weren't even born when this uh, occurred, but I'll just ask it for those of you who are my age or older. Back in 1978, I was 13 years old then, um, a candy bar was known by this slogan. And I'm curious if you know the candy bar. Here's the slogan that was unveiled in 1978. No matter how you slice it, it comes up peanuts. The candy bar is Snickers. That's pretty much what I heard throughout the auditorium. Some of you snickered your answer. You're a little timid, I could tell. Uh, before it was Snickers, by the way, it was a marathon. Unless you knew that either. Probably my favorite candy bars is Snickers. I just enjoy eating them. Um, in case. Like I said, you weren't alive to even know what to say to that, answer, to that question. Here's what the last little bit of that commercial that unveiled in 1978 looked like and sounded like. Peanuts everywhere. Wild peanuts. <laughs> Snickers, no matter how you slice it, it comes up peanuts. Some of you are laughing because you remember it. That would never make the Super Bowl today, would it? I mean, that, just, that commercial wouldn't fly, right? Now, I know that's pretty cheesy because I'm going to make a transition from that to partnership. You're like, oh my, how's this going to work? Well, I like a lot of cheese, first of all. Here's what you're going to see today, that no matter how you slice partnership, it comes up not peanuts, but prayer. In fact, will you say this cheesy slogan with me about partnership? No matter how you slice it, it comes up prayer. You're going to see this in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. We're going to take two weeks to look at these nine verses, all right? Today, we're going to look mainly at verses 3 through 8, which would be the background of his prayer for these partners of his. Next week, we'll look really at the body of his prayer. There's a lot of continuity, so it's kind of part one and part two in this section of Scripture, but I think it's well worth our time to walk through this slowly and see exactly why and how partnership is so, excuse me, prayer is so critical to partnership in the gospel. We're going to do that by looking at verses three through eight this morning. So you have your journals there, your Bibles, I'd encourage you to have your pen ready as well as you take good notes, marking them. We'll go to our lab. We'll work through these six verses, verses three to eight. And notice some things that are very important. We'll just kind of dissect the text together. Then I'll kind of slice it up for you in a few ways. But it will always end up with one thing. Because no matter how you slice it, it comes up prayer. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 3, Paul would write to these believers at the church of Philippi, which he founded and planted about 10 years prior to this letter. He said, I give thanks to my God. So automatically, he's jumping into prayer, isn't he? I mean, these are the first words after his introductory comments, which, by the way, Travis did a fantastic job just laying out for us these uh, saints and sinners and, excuse me, sinners, saints, and servants that are in this church. It was a beautiful uh, message. I love having Travis as such a trusted partner in the pulpit. It's just a joy to hear him. Um, and so Paul jumps now into the bulk of his letter, and the first thing he talks about is prayer. In fact, notice this. He says he gives thanks to God. He said in verse 4, he's always praying. And then at the end of verse 4, he talks about every prayer. So within the first few phrases, not even a full sentence yet, he's mentioned prayer three times. So prayer is an immediate and first thought as he, as he um, you know, thinks about his partners there in Philippi. Notice some things about this prayer as we dive further into it. It is a grateful prayer. Do you see the idea of giving thanks? It is a joyful prayer. Um, You're going to see later that it is a confident prayer. That begins in verse 6. We'll get there in a second. But notice this, that this thankfulness that exists in his prayer comes from his thankfulness. I find this rather intriguing. The phrase, he thanks God for every remembrance of them. It's the word for memory. It's the word for a recollection of of sweet times, of relational depth, of connection. Here's what Paul's saying in just the plainest of terms. When I think about you, I thank God for you. Can we just agree to this, church, that thankfulness should breed thankfulness? You know, we just sung this morning and rehearsed from Scripture. love the way Taylor leads us in our worship and that portion of our service where we read and heard and sang about God's goodness. Those verses, whether sung or read, as we think about them, they should prompt us to thank God. Because proper biblical thankfulness will lead you to thankfulness. This is what Paul is saying here. And so because he thinks of them, he remembers them fondly, referring no doubt back to that first moment he met them on the shores of that river there in Philippi, and God opened Lydia's heart to receive the gospel, and then they met in her home, and a church was planted that eventually had elders and deacons. He's saying, I have these remembrances, these memories, I thank God for you. But even those memories and this thankfulness that comes from his thankfulness, It's rooted in their partnership in the gospel. This is really the root reason he's thankful and thankful. Like it all goes back to the fact that 10 years before this letter, he met these folks by the river. God birthed a church in that moment, saved people that were discipled. And he thinks of that and he's thankful for that. He calls it a partnership in the gospel. The reason I say he's thinking back to those early days is because of this phrase, from the first day until now. I think the idea of the first day would probably be Acts 16. And Paul here is saying that he considers their relationship one of partnership in the gospel. Now, I explained to you in week one the word partnership. Specifically, this word is used about three or four times in this book. The same concepts mentioned five to seven times. This word, though, partnership, is the word for fellowship. I must explain further, though, that it has a prefix that adds some intensity to it. It's the prefix for with or joining in or along with. He's saying we have a fellowship that has been joined together. It's not just like your quick you know, 10-minute cup of coffee with a friend to catch up. It's not just like you're grabbing a Diet Coke with someone, a few chicken nuggets, you're going to chat for 30 minutes. Paul here's describing a relationship that's joined together, that has come together, that's deeply connected because of the gospel. And he calls this a partnership in the gospel. And this is why he's thankful and then thankful. Now, notice that in verse 6, he begins with a sense of confidence about his thankful prayers he says i'm sure of this and now he's going to explain what he means by the word this and on this note i want to warn you you may find this somewhat different than what you've heard in your past i don't think what you or i've heard in our past is wrong i'll say that up front But I would say to you that I now think what I've always heard may have been unintentionally incomplete. I'm just going to stick to the text. Let the word speak for itself. Let the lion out. It will take care of itself. Amen. Notice what the verse says. We typically take verse six. We lift it out of its context and we teach it theologically, very salvifically about what God does in us sanctificationally, right? He starts a work and he finishes it. I'm not saying that's wrong at all. I don't disagree with that. But if you leave the verse in its context, you have to answer some questions about what does he mean by the words good work? And contextually, I would contend that when he says he is sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, at least in the immediate context, would refer to the partnership in the gospel. You see that? I mean, just let the word speak. Paul says, I'm thankful for your partnership. And when I think about it, it brings me joy. And I pray for you with thankfulness. And I'm sure of this, that he who started this could work. If you heard that in a paragraph, if you heard that in a conversation, you would just know he means the partnership that God started 10 years ago. God's going to finish that. Now, he says he'll carry it on. I think speaking of their partnership until the day of Christ. Now, I don't think that deleting the theological implications of this or the salvific implications that God has done something in us and will finish it. I don't think deleting that is necessary. I think that's actually true. It's just incomplete. That Paul is probably thinking of both. He's thinking of what God is doing in them that God will complete and sanctify them fully. But because of what he's doing in them, then he's doing something through them. And that is he's partnering them with Paul for the furtherance of the gospel. So I think a more complete understanding of verse six is to say this. Paul here in one sense is asking for continued partnership with this church in the spreading of the gospel. And he's confident that God will empower them to do it. I think that's quite practical. Have you ever at times thought, you know, maybe we just can't continue to support this missionary or fund this work or help in this fashion. Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you have partners in your life, not only the ones through our church here, but other ones that you work with, that you're generous with. And perhaps at times you think, maybe it's time to end this. Can I just say that there are legitimate times to end partnerships? Yes, but unless it's God ending it, stick with it and know that God will actually help you bring that to a completion. It's his partnership that he began. God began this partnership, and Paul is saying he not only will finish what he started in you, he'll finish what he started through you. And then in verse 7, I think it's quite interesting that he actually gives a justification for this request, which is, again, why I think there's probably more going on in verse 6 than just a theological statement. He's kind of like backing up his request, like, hey, I know I'm asking you to stick with me, and that God will continue to empower you till the very end to stick with me, he says, indeed, it is right for me to think this way. That's pretty bold, isn't it? Like, hey, I know you may be a little offended or maybe put back or think I'm presumptuous, like I'm asking you to stick with me, but I'm right in this thinking. Watch this. Because I have you in my heart, it goes to some, some godly emotion. I love the way in this section, Paul, notice the word think here, similar to the idea of remembrance, Paul combines in a beautifully balanced way both his mental processes and his emotional processes. You know, often in the church, we try to eliminate those. We either are all emotion or all mental. And sometimes these two areas conflict and people argue and say, no, it's gotta be this, that. Can we just agree that it's both? God wants you to worship him in spirit and in truth. He wants you to hear his word. Uh, with both your emotion and your mental capacity. In fact, he said to, uh, Paul said to Timothy at one point, he said, um, consider this, think about this, and the Lord will give you understanding. Here's the emotional aspect of your heart, understanding it, but he says, think about it. So Paul asked Timothy, do both. Jesus said, that's how we worship with both. Hear the same thing again to these Philippian believers. Guys, I'm thinking about you. It makes me thankful and I have deep emotion for you. I am asking you to keep your partnership with me strong because God will finish what he's doing in you and he will finish what he's doing through you and it's right for me to think this way about you because we are relationally, emotionally close and, look at the next part of the verse, because you are all partners with me in grace. Now, question for you, class. We've seen this phrase before, except the last word is different. In verse 5, they were partners in the, fill the blank in, gospel. Now he says they're partners in what? So let's just put a different color here so we can really distinguish what's happening here. He's talking about partners in grace, partners in the gospel. Now what's happening with, why the change of words? What's Paul trying to aim at? I think the real heartbeat of this moment for Paul in writing this letter is this. Partnership in the gospel is essentially a responsibility, a functional way to say you're giving, you're supporting, you're helping, you're volunteering, you're praying. I, in turn, am praying for you. Like there's, a, there's a functional aspect, not wrong at all. It's just a functional aspect. But that exists because there is a spiritual relationship. You remember in our very first week, we explained partnership as having two key words relationship, and responsibility. I think this is the same thing alluded to here. There's a responsibility to partner in and for the gospel so that it spreads to places where it's yet to be heard. But that only happens because together we're partners in grace. Amen. That we're both, all of us, us and our partners, or you and your partner, you're, you're fellowshipping, you're joined together, you're with the same Um, savior, so to speak. That, 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 That has to be what he means here. That the spiritual is the basis for the physical. I'll say more in a minute about that. Just know that these two phrases are quite intriguing. And Paul here is thanking them and he's using their spiritual relationship as justification for his continued request for their partnership. He says about their spiritual relationship that they were partners in grace both in his imprisonment And then secondly, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, just quickly a word about that, the Philippian believers weren't in prison with Paul. And yet he says to them, you are such a closely connected partner that it was as if you were in prison with me. Have you ever felt that close to someone? Those deep moments of empathy? I think it's the right of Hebrews that says, remember those who are in chains as if in chains with them. Here's that lived out first century. Paul says, we're so closely connected. We're so fellowshiped, partnered, that I sensed you were with me in my imprisonment. That's, That's moving. That's a depth of relationship that I hope makes your heart yearn for that. Like perhaps that's missing in your life. Someone so close that when they hurt, you feel it. When you hurt, they feel it. That's the opposite of isolation. It's the opposite of like, you know, uh, a sense of uh, individualism. This is such great, um, in the right sense of the word here, like a, a, a interdependency. So he says you were with me in my imprisonment in some sense, and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. I think what he's after here in this phrase is this. These are legal terms, probably referencing the moments that Paul had to give an account for why he preached what he preached. Of course, that account was rooted in the resurrection. He was very clear that that's what he was a witness of. And so he was often put on trial for what he said. And in those moments when he was put on trial for what he was preaching, this church did not abandon him. When he defended it and it was confirmed that he was preaching the truth, they stood with him, even when there was a price to pay. Confirmation could be here that, yes, Paul, that is what you're preaching. We've heard it reported. You're agreeing with what you're preaching, so here's the price you're going to pay now. That's the sense here. Yeah, I'm defending the message. What you've heard is true. That is the message. And there's a price to pay. And when that occurred... The church didn't say, oh, uh, Paul who? They didn't run from their connection. They didn't avoid the relationship. They're like, yeah, that's our man. We stand with him. When he's in prison and when he's called upon to answer for his preaching, like, that's our guy. Don't you love why then Paul would say, I have you in my heart? Admittedly, some translations in that phrase in verse 7 that says that uh he has them in their heart. I don't think the pronoun placement there matters in the sense that is it changes the meaning, not at all. There's this deep relational connection that causes both of these parties in this partnership to feel like when one's experiencing something, the other's experiencing it also. You'd almost call this like spiritual twins. They just know what's happening with the other person. That sounds like a lot to say about a relationship. Like, man, Paul, that's, that's a high level of partnership. That's some deep relationship. Like, that's, that's high praise. That's, that's a mouthful, which is why he closes this section, giving the background of the prayer by saying that God is his witness. Do you see that? He calls God to the witness stand to verify that what he's saying is true. Paul's conscience is clear here. He says, I deeply miss all of you, which is why he would refer to them as being in prison with him, as standing with him, as having joyful memories of them and being thankful for them, knowing that they will continue as a partner, both spiritually and physically. All these things. No wonder he would say, I deeply miss you. But watch this. I love how he does this. Not because of something he's produced, not because he's horizontally just like, hey, I'm I'm kind of a you know relational guy, I have a lot of emotion. He says here, I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And he ends the background of this prayer emphasis as partners by saying the, the one fueling every bit of my mental process, emotional process, all of my thankfulness, joyfulness, thankfulness, confidence, all of these emotions. They're coming because they're the emotions, they're the affections, they're the love of Jesus Christ. That's amazing to me. That God is birthing and fueling and empowering this partnership both outwardly and inwardly. Not to be too humorous, the word affection here is the word for bowels. Uh, in fact, some think that the word affection is the root word for where we get our name for our spleen. If you were to say the word in the Greek language, it has a sense that you're trying to say spleen with some issues. And so it may be that it's kind of morphed over time, and we adopted it as the word for our inside organ called our spleen. The point is, the word affection speaks of our, and I'll you be very plain here, our innards, our bowels. It's like saying... I got a gut feeling. You ever said that? You ever heard that? You're talking about something like, like deep down here. Paul is saying, I love you deep down. I love you. And God has put that there. You talk about a partnership to pursue, man, that's what we're after this type of partnership Amen. and the result of this kind of partnership this kind of thankfulness uh, thankfulness i mean all of these thoughts mentally and emotionally when you put it all together what emerges is like because of all of that man i'm praying for you In fact, as verse 9 unfolds, we'll see this next week, Paul actually gives us the body of his prayer. There's just no way to avoid it that between verses 3 to 11, Paul's one main emphasis is, because we're partners, I'm praying for you. He does tell us why. He gives us background, but he closes with the body of the prayer, and it should show us something, that no matter how you slice partnership, it comes up prayer. Now, we're going to leave it there for a minute. And I do want to show you some various ways to slice this text. I've kind of dissected it for you, connected things, hope it's been helpful. Just briefly, and this will be a little bit repetitious, but for the sake of learning and understanding as much as we can about the text, let me just show you how you could slice this. You could slice it in three ways, first of all. I think if you examine the text, you read it as a whole, you'll find there's a movement from the external to the internal to the vertical. Just take some notes on your journal, maybe write them in your Bible. You see this in the movement of the verses. Paul talks about his posture of prayer, how he gives thanks to God, but it comes from something inside of him. He has thoughts of them. He has high emotion for them. He has love for them, but this is not because of him. It's because it's from God. His confidence is always vertical. His affections are from Christ his confidence is because God's work is going to continue in them. Does that make sense? you see that in the text? There's an external activity happening that comes from internal activity, which is the result of vertical activity. So you could see the text in that way. You could slice it up that way. All of that, of course, does, leads to prayer. This vertical work of God that causes Paul to feel and think certain ways results in the activity of prayer, because they're partners. You could slice it up in two ways. I mentioned this earlier, I won't spend long here, but the, the um, contrast between partnership in the gospel and partnership in grace, one is a spiritual relationship. And it's the justification Paul gives for asking them to maintain a functional or physical relationship Connection, partnership in the gospel. So, Paul here is rooting his request to continue support, help, volunteer, pray, all those things that we do. He's rooting that and saying it's right to think this way because they have a partnership spiritually. Does that make sense? You could slice it up that way. The spiritual is the basis for support or gives credence, justification to the physical. The end result, of course, is still, we're going to pray for you. We're praying for each other. So that's why the one thing that emerges from these verses, no matter how you slice it, is what? Prayer. So church, let's just say it again. Put the slogan in our pocket. When it comes to partnership, no matter how you slice it, it comes up. Prayer. Now hear me hear me well, that does not mean other things don't matter. The rest of the book unfolds for us several things that matter in partnership. But what is the first thing that Paul gets to? Say it with me. Prayer, which is why we say this often at church and we will continue to say it. Prayer is our first and best action. We're not saying other things aren't important. Sure they are. God has several things that he uses as ordained means to accomplish his purposes and will. Amen. But the first and most important thing that should always be true of partners is that we are praying for you with thankfulness, with thankfulness, with joyfulness, and with confidence we are praying for you. Now, you can go home and remember the slogan. In fact, you probably will. Let me give it to you a little more theological, just to make sure I appease my pastoral instincts, all right? <laughs> because here's what the text I think is saying in a simple sentence you can use the old Snickers commercial and cheese your way through it, that's fine. Or if you want to use it a different way, here's what we're saying in a take-home truth, very simply and very succinctly, that prayer is a partnership priority and privilege. There's a mental capacity to it. There's an emotional component to it. Lots tied into it. But at the end of the day, true biblical partners see prayer as a priority and a privilege, and it's fundamental to the relationship, both coming and going. We pray, first and foremost, as partners in the gospel and in God's grace. Now, church, I hope you're processing that. I hope you're mentally kind of letting that churn in your head and your heart. Because that's not only true for partners. The idea that prayer is fundamental to everything that we do and all of our relationships, that should uh, cause you to stop for a moment and take some inventory and ask yourself, is prayer just something else I do? Or is it fundamental to everything I do? Let me illustrate. And I'll uh, pin this on our elders. Love those men that I get to work with. They're pastors with me. Together we shepherd the church here under the Lord's chief shepherdship. I remember when we were meeting and discussing the various ministries of the church and what God's doing and where's he working. Maybe something should be started and something stopped. And just kind of doing some annual, biannual kind of reviews. And the question was, well, is prayer a ministry of the church that we need to actually list on this sheet? And some, of course, you know, we might have said, "Sure," and that's not a bad answer. You could disagree with where we ended up on this. By the way, it's not a sin to disagree with this. Someone said in the meeting, "Is prayer a ministry, or is it important to every ministry?" Like, how do we think of prayer? Like, you can get involved in the small groups, you can get involved in men's, you can get involved in prayer. Like, that doesn't seem right. You can't just decide, like, I'm not going to get involved in prayer. Like, no, that's not an option. Prayer's like uh, it's, it's like the air in a church. It just should always be present. It's fundamental to everything we do, not just something else we do. And so we decided in that meeting, we're not going to list prayer as a ministry of the church. Now, does that mean we don't pray for each other? Not at all. We pray for the sick. We pray over the sick. We have times of official gathering for prayer. We'll call you to fasting. I'm not saying there aren't official avenues to see prayer visibly manifested, but to list it as a ministry that you can kind of Select, like I think I'll do that this year, but next year I'm gonna take a, w- a year off from prayer. That's not the heartbeat of your elders, and so we didn't put it on the list because it's not something we do, it's fundamental to everything we do. Prayer is in every ministry our first and best action. Your marriage struggling, yes, the marriage retreat will help you. But here's what's more important than the retreat: prayer. Amen. Pray for your spouse yes, yes. pray for reconciliation yes. pray for a miracle yes. ask God in an independent posture say God I can't fix what's broken I need a miracle God yeah prayer is what you need Amen. same thing's true for every ministry whether it's a small group ministry, men's ministry, children, youth, next gen, campus collective. Name your ministry. What you do in that ministry, it matters, it's important. But for all of our ministries, we must pray that God would breathe upon them with supernatural Holy Spirit power. The last thing I want is for any ministry to simply remain horizontal. In other words, that's a good program. That went off without a hitch. Very organized. Man, perfect transitions. Like we can have these, you know, horizontal, like almost man-made type of ways we assess. And the whole time, it's, it's missing the one thing that's needed, the breath of God. What? brings about the power of God. I'll tell you what it is. It's prayer. It's a posture of dependency. We say, God, if you don't breathe on this, if you don't show up in manifest ways, we're just wasting energy. It's just a horizontal pursuit. God, what we need is vertical power. That's from prayer. Think about our church planting efforts, even our more recent initiative to help rural areas in Iowa. we've got two or three on the radar. We hope to launch a rural campus. Lord willing, you'll hear more about this at your fireside chat uh, in Guttenberg this fall. We're looking at some other places. Uh, we've got two or three men who are looking at the residency for this fall as well, um, as far as church planters. And, and just all of this effort, like, you know what that needs more than anything? It just it needs prayer. Pray for God to continue to give our people a sense that multiplying is the normal Christian church lifestyle. That it's, it's perfectly right for a set of folks to say, hey, we're gonna, we, we want to go plant in this place and let's train up a man and let's get that going. Let's look for these areas that are weak and let's help get a campus there or a church plant here. Let's send folks to foreign fields where there's very little access to the gospel. Let's think about how can the gospel spread through us and knowing that means that we've got to reproduce and multiply and have hard goodbyes. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. That's normal. That's what Christians do. That's what churches do. Matthew 28, the book of Acts is the story of God's church multiplying to the ends of the earth. We are not an exception to that. We must pursue that. And that takes and requires prayer which is why Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers." Have you ever prayed for God to send your best friend? Have you prayed so sincerely, God, raise up from our church, people who will leave our church and take the gospel to where it's never been heard? Are you praying that way? Because there's no way to manufacture that. You can't produce that. You can't make that happen. Only God can fuel and birth an environment. Where it's so clear that God's power is present that when anyone looks in and looks and sees it, they say, "This truly, God is among you." That's what I'm after. I have zero concern for what the culture says about us. I don't care if we're woke, unwoke, cool, uncool, popular, unpopular. I have one concern: is the Master of the Great Commission seeing first family? expend its energies and people and resources to get the gospel where it's not been heard. That's my singular aim, to mobilize our flock fully for the mission of God, which means we have to have a sending culture. Most of you will remain as senders, and within that sending body, there will be some who will go. And can we properly and spiritually maintain a partnership with them when they go to where we say, I deeply miss you. With the affections that Christ gave me, I feel like you're. You, when you hurt, I hurt. When I hurt, you hurt. And we stand together for the gospel. And when they call on us to remain true, we're going to remain true. We're not going to abandon them when they get criticized or imprisoned or persecuted. Because our partnership is in grace and in the gospel, and all of this leads us to make sure the first. And foremost and fundamental thing we do is to pray with and for our partners. All of that is contingent upon prayer. Otherwise, it stays simply horizontal. In all frankness and transparency, I don't want horizontal emotions for our partners. I don't. I want vertical emotions, I want God given affections for those who will risk their life for the gospel. Don't you? That only comes through prayer. May God give us knees that are worn out for the sake of those whose feet are going to places we've never heard of the name of Jesus. That's why I say to you, church, prayer is a partnership, priority, and privilege. When you read that, you may think, well, that's just a good truth. I'll, I'll tuck it in my pocket right beside the other jingle about the Snickers. I got both of them today, Todd. No matter how you slice it, it comes up prayer. It's our priority and privilege. But I don't want you to leave with just truth only, though I do think that's paramount. I want you to begin to live truth. And so the action step from this is not hard to figure out, is it? You should be there in your heart and in your head. Here's your action point. I will pray for our partners. It's not complicated, church. But often we don't. I want to call upon you this week to pray for our partners with thankfulness first that will then lead you to Thankfulness, joyfulness, and confidence. To go from the external to the internal to the vertical, to see the spiritual as sourcing and justifying and credentializing the physical. That no matter how you slice these verses, this week, I'm praying for our partners. That's my privilege and priority. To help you with that, when you came in, you received the list of our official partners, didn't you? It's on a small little card. Will you take that out for a moment and look at it? Here's what's on there. I just want to share with you what's on there so you'll know that this is what I want you to pray for specifically are the names on that sheet. Those are the official partners that we support on a monthly budgeted, and a monthly budgeted fashion. They've been sent by our church or supported by our church. Gary's here today. You met him. He's one of our partners in France. Um, A good many of those, I think over half of those, are sent from here. You know them. They sat in those chairs. Um, So that's what's on that sheet. What's not on that sheet are other great partners of ours, both locally and globally. There's names of three or four families who are not on there. They're in our pipeline. Some of them are in training right now. Others are still here, and they're working through some other things. They're set to go to the field in the next three to four years, Lord willing. Some hard goodbyes are coming, some increased mission expenditures. Praise God. There's some days ahead that um, look very fruitful in regions of the world where the gospel's not heard right now. I'm thankful God is using us in that fashion. They're not on that list because we're not sure where they're going to go and how that's going to flesh out. Who else is on that list is really good local partners. I was at an event last night, a beautiful event. Many of you were there in which um, Garden Gate Ranch, uh, they deal with sex trafficking trauma and um, women who've just uh, been exploited. And to see so many of you there uh, giving, not only your time but of your finances to help that ministry. I was at the, uh, Julie and I were both at the um, same event for Ruth Harbor as well as for Agape Predators Center. You know, every year we help Also, the Alpha Women's Center here in Ankeny. There's a number of local partners from prison ministry to camps to these types of things we were at last night. And when I went home, I told Julie, I said, I'm so glad that our church is full of generous givers. Like you go to these things and you give and invest. And yet you don't ever feel like, you know, like, well, I'm not giving to our church now or I'm not going to give over here. You realize there's multiple partners and we can be generous to lots of things and see God work. I love that about you guys. Those are also partners. They're not on that card, but your mind may be thinking of other partners. Some of you in our small groups, you support certain other missionaries. Individually, I know we support some orphanages. There's others of you who support orphans and other things. Those are all partners. And they, first and foremost, need and want our prayers. We pray for them. They pray for us. So that's what I'm calling you today to do, is to pray for those who partner with us for the gospel. Pray for those who are a partner in grace and a partner in the gospel.